0: That radical change that you turn in your life. There were some challenges, right? Yeah. There are some confrontations that we have to face. And just think you know, how, how some people are feeling right now. You know, I remember when I first made my, my stand for the Lord, I, had, I, got, I took some heat from my siblings. I took some heat from my friends. I even lost a few friends. So, so some of these people here, they need some new friends. Amen? Amen. Encourage them. Show them the love of Christ. Well, here we are. We have two more messages this morning and one more tonight. We are studying Bible prophecy. And this morning, we're going to take another deep uh, dive into Bible prophecy. We're going to look at the Bride of Christ according to uh, what the Bible says. So uh, I'm looking forward to this topic. It's a deep topic. It's an interesting topic. And in some ways, a politically incorrect topic. Amen? But I guarantee you... I'm going to just preach from the Word this morning, amen? amen? Don't take it from me, take it from the Word of God. Let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer, and we'll get into our message. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the journey that we've been through together these last couple of weeks. Thank you for the new things that we've been learning, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that the truth, as it is in Jesus, and that, that our, our new found relationship with Christ will be everything to us, Lord. That we'll see Jesus as he really is. I, I think of that beautiful song that we just sang. To God be the glory. It said, but purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport when Jesus we see. Lord, we're going to see Jesus. And when we see him, one glimpse of him in glory will be worth all of the toil, all of the trials, all the sacrifices we face in this life. Lord, help us, help us to not be uh, dissuaded or distracted or to fall away. Help us keep our eyes, eyes of faith on Jesus and realize that you have a reward waiting for us. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. The Bride of Christ. That is our topic this morning. We're going to take a look at what is, how do you choose a church? How do you know if a church is a church of Christ and it's a church that Jesus is a part of and endorses? We're going to take a look into uh, Bible prophecy, and we're going to take a look at some of the characteristics of God's true church in Revelation and in Bible prophecy. Jesus, he said in, in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, I do not pray for these alone. This is Jesus' last prayer, his last great prayer. Before the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed there, but John chapter 17, the whole chapter is a prayer of Christ. And here was his prayer. It was for us, you realize. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one. Amen? Those of us who have believed in Jesus through the word of the disciples, through the word of God, those who have believed in Jesus through our word, sharing Jesus, Jesus prayed for us and he said that we all may be one, unified, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us and that the world may believe that you sent me. It says in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 5, there is one body and one spirit, just as we were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You realize God never intended for there to be more than one church? Interesting, you study Bible prophecy, he never intended for that. We see things today like, um, there's, there's a lot of different denominations, a lot of different persuasions out there. And there's a lot of good people, amen, in a lot of different churches and a lot of different persuasions. People who, who love and follow Jesus, amen? But it was not God's original design that there be all these churches. There's um, this movement out today, and it's been around for a few decades now, called the Ecumenical Movement. And it's basically um, built on the premise that it's, that it's important for us to, to unify and to put aside our differences of beliefs, compromise beliefs, in other words, and come together as a body of Christians, but friends, what defines the church of Jesus? It's the church that's built on the solid foundation of God's word. Amen? It's the, word that teaches, it's the, the church that teaches uh, God's word. So how do you choose a church? How do you, how do you pick a church? You know, um, I heard a story one time of a Russian man immigrated to America and he um, met a new friend, an American friend, and he said he, he wanted to acclimate and become more American, you know, and he said, so, you know, he's trying to learn some of the traditions and custom, customs of Americans, and he said, what do Americans eat for breakfast? And so the man said, well, you know, most Americans eat cold cereal for breakfast. And he said, well, okay, where do I find that? And he said, go to the supermarket. So he went to the supermarket, and they, they said, go over to this aisle uh, to find the cereal. And he went to the aisle, and it was as long as an airport terminal, And he looked to his left and to his right, and it was all these different kinds of cereal. There was, you know, cereal with pictures of cartoons on it. There was cereal for kids, cereal for adults. There was healthy cereal. There was every kind of cereal you can imagine. And he was a little baffled by that. Some people, they shop for church like they shop for cereal. (laughs) If you want to find a church that will entertain you, you can find it. If you want to find a church that will, you know... Say that that it's okay to to sin as long as you come to church and and you believe in in, you know God. There's a church you can find a church like that. There's a lot of reasons why people pick a church. You know, um, some of the top ten reasons I looked at uh, I looked at looked this up. Some of the main reasons people go or choose a church is number one, it's close to my house. That's not a bad reason necessarily, but it shouldn't be the reason that you pick a church. It's close to my house. you know my grandma my my mother once asked my grandma she said she said mom why do you why did so why did you marry marry my dad and you know what my grandma said because he was within walking distance <laughs> of course my grandma she grew up in rural kentucky you know out in the out in the real boondocks okay back in the you know a while ago and so you know that that may have been a legitimate reason in her mind but that shouldn't be a reason why we Pick a church because it's close. I mean, that's not a bad reason. Another reason: my family goes there. I grew up there. Well, my family's gone there for generations, so we go to this church. Why, you know, why shouldn't I go to this church? It has a great children's program. I love the children's. I can, you know, my children are entertained, and I can go and be undistracted. Again, these aren't bad reasons to pick a church. It has great music. I love music. I love singing. The choir is awesome. Not bad reasons. It's entertaining. The preacher is good-looking and charismatic. It's not why you're here today, I know, but just kidding. All right. It's where the prestigious intelligentsia of the city go. Oh, the influential church. Some people maybe choose a church for that reason. Some people even say, I love the building. It's such a beautiful building. The stained glass, I just feel so, so much peace in there not bad things. I mean, these aren't bad things, of course. And they're good things. It's good if a church has these things. None of these are wrong reasons, but they're not the reason. Friends, when I pick cereal, this is me personally, when I go to pick cereal, the first thing I look at is I look at the ingredients. Amen? Yes. What's this stuff made out of? Sugar. Some people, hey, sugar. I heard sugar, right? Some people pick cereal because it has sugar. Some people pick a church because it has sugar and they like sugar. Okay. The question is does the church teach the Bible? You know, if if it doesn't teach the Bible, if the church does not is not built on the foundation of scripture, it doesn't matter if the church has no children's program, if it doesn't ha- if you know if it has a has a homely preacher who puts you to sleep, it doesn't matter if the if the church teaches the Bible, Bible, that's the church. If it has if it has a miserable music program, if the, if the song service sounds like feeding time at the zoo, that's not a reason to, to you know, if it teaches the Bible, that's, that's God's church. Can you say amen? You know, I heard about one guy, he, he, uh, he asked his friend, he said, so what, is your, uh, what does your church believe? And he said, oh, our church believes um, what the pastor believes. Wow. Okay, well, well, what does your pastor believe? Well, he believes what the church believes. Well, what does your pastor and your church believe? Oh, well, they believe the same thing. A lot of people don't know exactly what their church or even what their pastor believe. Friends, it's important that we know what the Bible teaches. And we determine what our church, uh, if our church is legitimate based on what it teaches from the Bible. Again, there's good people in every denomination. Sincere people who love Jesus. But that's not how you pick your church. The way you pick a church is if it's built on uh, the Bible. By the way, you remember the story of Solomon. When he, um, he, he, he those th- two women came to him. Right to, right when he was, uh, became king, he was the son of David. Son of Bathsheba, incidentally. He became king. Two women came to him. And by the way, what you're going to see here in just a little bit that a woman in Bible prophecy is a church. It's a symbol of a church. A woman is. So, now, this is just a story, by the way. This is not Bible prophecy. But two women came to him, and they, and they had this dispute. And this one said, this, this baby is my baby. And the other one said, no, she slept on her baby. She rolled over on it, and it suffocated at night and died. And she's trying to steal my baby. And so they were disputing, and no one knew, knew what to do. So they took him to this new King Solomon. You know what King Solomon did? Pulled out a sword. He pulled out a sword. said, we'll divide the baby in two. and You guys can each have half. As soon as he said that, one woman said, no, 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 no. Don't don't kill the baby. The other one can have it. And he said, it's your baby. You take it home. He discerned the true woman, the true woman, the woman who is really the mother of the child by using the sword. Amen? Amen. Friends, that's what we're going to do this morning. And that's what you need to do personally and individually. You need to use the sword to discern who is the true woman. Find Bible truth then a church that follows it. Amen. That's the formula. So the question is, why are there so many denominations today? Literally thousands of Christian denominations and many other you know, types of churches and persuasions in addition to that. It's interesting because you look in Bible prophecy and you really only see two women. You only see two churches that the, that the Bible talks about. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 with me real quick. And if you have one of these, happen to have one of the seminar Bibles that we've been using, that's also page 1549. 1549, Ephesians 5.22. And I'm going to show you this. This is a really key passage for more than one reason. Ephesians 5.22, Paul he's talking about the church. And he uses kind of an analogy here to, to help help us understand and illustrate. Ephesians chapter five and verse twenty-two, Paul says, "Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord." We're not going to talk about that this morning. That's not the topic of our discussion, but this is this is a helpful passage nonetheless. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. You see this comparison that he's making. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Church is likened unto a woman. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present her, her, her. To himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord, the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. You hear that? We are members of his body. We are Christ's bride, his wife, his church. For this reason, a man shall leave, this is verse 31, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. I speak concerning Christ and the church. A woman in Bible prophecy equals a church. You read about these two churches, one in Revelation chapter 12, a woman clothed in white, the righteousness of Christ. But then you also read about this other woman, sometimes called the Scarlet Harlot, in Revelation chapter 17. One symbolizes the faithful church of God, the other one symbolizes the unfaithful church. Who is the unfaithful church? Who is the unfaithful church? We're going to just touch on this briefly here. And again, I just share with you the word of God this morning. 1 Peter um, chapter 5 and verse 13 by the way, turn with me. We need to look at one verse here before we go to Peter. Turn with me to the very last book in your Bible. It's called in Revelation chapter 17, referring to the scarlet harlot. And if you have the seminar Bible, again that's page 1680. Revelation chapter 17. And we're going to take a quick look here at verse 1 and 5. Revelation 17 verses one and five. And the Bible reads, "Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. This is talking with John, the Revelator, who wrote the book of Revelation. This angel came and talked with me, saying, "Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot, the woman." Who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication? Jump down to verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. So she's the mother of many false teachings and false churches as well. Notice what Peter says here. He, you know, the 1st the and 2nd Peter, they're called epistles. Do you know what an epistle is? It's a letter, right? Okay, so that's what they called, they wrote Paul, he wrote many epistles, the epistle to the Romans, the epistles, etc. Paul, or Peter, he wrote this epistle and he says, she who is in Babylon, elect, together, greets you, and so does Mark, my son, greet one another with a kiss and love and peace to you all in Christ Jesus, amen. He was speaking to people who lived in Babylon. You realize that Babylon was and still is today a city in ruins. What was he talking about? You realize that in New Testament times, Babylon, Babylon was a code word for Rome, the city of Rome. Look, look with me, we're here in Revelation 17, look at this, okay? So we're talking about the scarlet harlot, she's called Babylon the Great, okay? Notice what it says here in verse 9. Verse 9, Revelation 17, verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. It's like, hey, listen, think about this. Take heed to this. Revelation 17, verse 9. Here's the mind that has wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. She sits on seven mountains. Notice what it says in verse 18. And the woman who you saw, verse 18 of Revelation 17, the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. That great city who sits on seven mountains. Have you ever heard of the city of seven hills or seven mountains? Boom. The city of seven hills is Rome. It's Rome. I'm going to show you some more here. Notice this. This is remember we talked about Isaac Newton, right? He was Isaac Newton is known for making many groundbreaking discoveries in science, mathematics, and astronomy. He is, in fact, considered by many to be the greatest and most influential scientist who ever lived. In his book, Observations upon the Prophecies of Daniel, which was published in London in 1733, he wrote about who this mystery Babylon woman was and about who, who, uh, who the Antichrist was. It says here, A lesser-known fact about Isaac Newton is, to, is his discoveries in the areas of religion, including his belief that the system of Roman Catholicism was the Antichrist's power. Friends, this is what not only, you know, I'm telling you right now in the Bible, this is what many, many men in, in history have discovered. And did you realize that many men, such as Martin Luther, notice this, notable, such as, uh, notable others such, held the same view as Isaac Newton, uh, such as King James himself, who wrote the King James Bible, or, you know, he didn't write it, but helped, you know, authorize the translation of it. Martin Luther, who was the founder of the Lutheran Church, do you know the Lutheran Church, which is a huge church all over America today, was founded on the notion that the Roman Catholic Church was the Antichrist, and they were separating themselves from Babylon. John Calvin, prominent theologian; John Wycliffe, uh, who was an Oxford pro- uh, professor; Thomas Cranmer; um, John Knox, and many other Protestant reformers. Did you realize, my friends, that every, ch- almost every Protestant, deno- ev- in fact, every Protestant denomination in America used to believe this very fact? but it's, it's lost sight of and forgotten now. This is not a new thing that I'm sharing with you this morning. It may come as a shock to some of us, like, wait a second, what? The Roman Catholic Church? This is what, I'll show you more in Bible prophecy and here in a second, but just understand that this is, this is what, what the Reformers taught. Did you know that every Baptist in America used to understand this and believe this? Every Lutheran in America used to understand this and believe this. Who are our neighbors right next door? The Baptist Church, Right? They used to understand this, but it's been forgotten and lost sight of. Why? Why did they think this? Why did Isaac Newton, the greatest and most influential scientist who ever lived, why did he believe this? Why did the founder of the Baptist Church believe this? Why did Martin Luther believe this? Again, we we looked last night at the principle of Antichrist. It says in Daniel 7.25, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High. This is talking about the little horn, or the Antichrist, what other institution has persecuted and killed Christians uh, to, in such a large scale as the, as the Catholic Church? You look at the history of the Dark Ages, you realize, who, who was the, the most notable pope we had before uh, Francis? John Paul II, right? He came, we had um, Benedict before Francis. But John Paul II was the Pope right before Benedict, and he was a long-reigning Pope. He actually apologized. He wrote publicly and apologized. It was in the 60s or 70s. He apologized for the millions upon millions of lives that were shed in the name of Christ. Remember, again, the principle of Antichrist is using political or secular human power to achieve and execute religious agendas. That's exactly what happened in the Dark Ages he shall speak pompous words against the Most High and shall persecute the saints of the Most High. He shall intend to change times and law. What, what law has to do with time in the Ten Commandments? There's only one, the fourth. The fourth commandment, the Sabbath. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. Notice what it says here in the Convert's Catechism of Catholic Doctrine. This is a Catholic publication. It has a you know, question-answer format in there. It says, why do, we observe, why do we observe Sunday instead of Saturday? We observe Sunday instead of Saturday because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. She'll intend to change times and law. Friends, I, as I point this out to you, I want, to, I want you to understand that I come from a Catholic background. You realize as a little baby, as a child I was baptized as a Catholic. My whole, the whole my mother's side of the family was all Catholic. Strong Catholic family. My mother still has in her mind, she, she's not a Catholic t- today. She almost was a nun. But, but she still to this day has memorized um, Hail Mary and, and many other Catholic pra- uh, you know prayers. And she remembers those things because she was a dedicated Catholic. I love my Catholic family. And there's many dedicated people in, in, um, in my Catholic family. My grandmother, she was a dedicated Catholic. The one who, you know, Married my grandpa because she was walking distance. That one, she was a strong Catholic. And you realize that she died a Catholic. And I, I, I hope and pray and I believe that she'll be in heaven someday. Amen? I'm not saying that Catholics are bad people. And, and, and neither was Martin Luther or Isaac Newton. They weren't saying that at all. No. They're saying that the system, the system which has a long, bloody history, is what the Bible prophesied would happen. You know, Paul, it says in Acts chapter 26, as he was standing before his, uh, his, the judgment there and the, 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 he was about to be executed, he told them, he said, Paul said, hey, I've spoken nothing to you except what Moses and the prophets said would come. That's all the Bible prophets were doing. Daniel and, they were, and John and Revelation, they're just telling us what was to come. And that's all I do today is I, just, I simply tell you what was to come. It says, he shall intend to change, change times and law it says, the Catholic Church freely, freely says, well, we transferred from the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. That's why we do it. The Pope has power... This is another uh, decretal um, from, from the Catholic Church. The Pope has power to change times, to abrogate or do away with laws, and to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. This is a, a claim that they're not ashamed of. They're not bashful about that. Now, there's other churches out there who say they believe in the Bible and the Bible only, but they follow certain traditions, like, like worshiping on Sunday. Sunday is founded on script is not founded on scripture, but on tradition, and is a distinctly Catholic institution. This is from again from a Catholic author here. And they take the Bible and they do all kinds of gymnastics to try and prove that, that the Sabbath is on Sunday. The Catholic Church doesn't play around like that. They say, listen, the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, they write about that. The Bible says Saturday is the Sabbath. There's many famous bishops who, who have acknowledged that in, in writing and publicly. They simply say the Catholic Church has the authority to change these things, and we do that, and that's what we, we go by. And so, so in a way, that's, that's, I mean, that's respectable in a way, because they're not twisting the Scriptures, they're just saying we have power to change them. What happened? What happened? Back in the um, early, early part of the, the Middle Ages, back in the 300s, there were some great changes that were taking place in the Roman Empire. And as these changes were taking place... Um, Constantine, he realized that the, that the Christian church was really, really growing. And it was really becoming a, a, a force to be contended with. And Constantine, he realized that if he did not do something about this, if you can't beat him, join him. And so Constantine's like, you know what? I need to call myself a Christian so I can win the, the, the favor of these people, this huge sect of people that's become part of the Roman Empire. And so Constantine... He, um, he, you know, he 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 said, "Hey, I'm a Christian," but then also there was many other pagan worshippers in his empire who worshiped things like the sun and other things like that. And so he said, "You know what? I, you know, the, we're, we're Christian and we are all one big happy family." And he kind of combined everything and he took his whole army and he, and he marched it through through a river there in Rome, a kind of a, a shallow riverbed. And he said, he he marched his whole army through it and he said, "Hey, you've all been baptized." Okay. So, so he, he had a nominal conversion to Christianity. He passed a law then, what, the first Sunday law. And he said, and he, you, you can read this in history. You can read about this in the book, The Great Controversy. He, he passed this law on the premise that, 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 that we needed a, a, a day for the family to rest. That's how it all started. It started with Constantine. And, you know, the family needed a rest day, and so we're going to have Sunday be a rest day. Well, the Bible teaches that the Sabbath, the Saturday, is supposed to be a rest day. Well, as as time progressed, the the bishop of Rome came to power, and and the church gained more power until it actually gained power over the state, and it became a religious political power, and it enforced Sunday, and it enforced its teachings. You can read, it's a long history, and we don't have time to get into all of that. Paul he said this for I know this that um, that my departure for I know this that after my departure savage, savage wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock also from among yourselves he says in Acts twenty verse thirty men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves it was from among, among ourselves it was from among the Christi- Christians that things begin to change that Sunday Sunday began to be reverenced and that this, that this Antichrist power came to be. And again, friends, um, I just share with you what the Bible says. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves and persecute the people of God. Notice what it says here in Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, The moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. This is the woman, the pure church of God, the remnant. Okay. And so here it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven diadems on his heads. He drew a third of the stars from heaven, drew them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where, she was, uh, where there was a place prepared by God that she should be fed there for 1,260 days. Do you realize that God's church, his people, in essence, had to flee into the wilderness? There was, there was a period of many hundreds of years, over a 1,000 years, where, where people who worshiped on the Sabbath, which, by the way, there's always there's always been people who've worshipped on the Sabbath. There's a DVD series that I recommend everybody should watch at some time. It's called The Seventh Day. And it's, it's a five-part program, and it basically covers the whole history of the Sabbath through all, all ages. Powerful program. In essence, God's people were in hiding, and the church that was, that was prominent was, was the state church or the Roman Catholic Church. And then... Toward the end of the Middle Ages, we have men like Wycliffe and Huss, Martin Luther, Roger Williams, the English Baptists, John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church. These men started saying, hey, this is, something's not right here about the way we're, we're, we're doing church. Something's not right about the way we're worshiping God. And they broke off, and the Protestant Reformation started. And here in America, we had William Miller. It says in Proverbs 4, verse 18, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. God started the Reformation off and it, it's grown brighter and stronger and stronger until today where, where we, have, we have the Bible. You know, in the dark ages, you realize that the state church wouldn't allow people to have their own Bibles because it revealed the truth. God was calling his people out of Babylon and he's calling us out of Babylon today out of spiritual adultery back to the word of God is the foundation of all belief. We get, we get stuck with the people um, not continuing with the truth. So that's why there's so many denominations today is because, because of this state church that ruled Europe in ancient Rome with an iron fist. And then when the, when the Protestant Reformation started, they, they started breaking off and splintering away for good reasons and because they were following the Bible. But today, it seems like everybody's forgotten what, what they once believed. Do you realize that next year, next year there's going to be a great, um, there's going to be a, a huge celebration in Germany. And the, the, the Lutheran Church and many other churches are going are to gather together. The Pope is going to be there and they're going to, to basically de- declare that the Reformation is over. The Pope, you know, many other people have said the Reformation is over. It is in essence because people are not protesting anymore. The Protestant movement is, is, is finished. But the, the, the thing is, is that, that the Catholic Church is calling her daughters back to herself. And the key for us is to, is to ask ourselves, are we going to be part of a church or of one of the daughter churches who don't follow the Bible, or are we going to be part of God's church that follows the Bible? Again, I share with you the Word of God, and I tell you there are many good people in many churches. But I'm just telling you what Bible prophecy says and what the, what the, what the system is. Revelation 12, verse 17 And the dragon was wroth or angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, the leftovers, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. How do you identify God's people? How do you identify his church? They keep his commandments and they have the testimony of Jesus. We're going to look at that in a second. Here's Revelation 14, verse 12. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. So here's, here's some characteristics to consider. The characteristics of God's remnant people is number one, they keep the commandments. They have the testimony of Jesus. They are a global movement with a special message. How do I know that? In Revelation 14, verses six through seven, then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. God's people, he's calling them to preach to every person in the whole world. Every every. Every nation, every language, every tongue, you realize that the Seventh day Adventist Church has missionaries in more countries and in more places than any other church in the world. The everlasting gospel, it's worldwide in scope. The judgment has come. Worship God as creator, keeping the Sabbath, remembering that God created us in seven days on the Sabbath. Come out of Babylon, don't receive the mark of the beast. And I think we'll be learning more about that in, in our epic series, right? Or in our more Discover Bible Prophecy, The Mark of the Beast. So God's church, the remnant, they keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus. By the way, do you realize that what I'm, I'm sharing with you today is the most politically incorrect thing you can say in Christianity today? That there is a remnant, That there is a spe- that there is a... that that, that God has a special group of people. I, again, am not saying that there are many Baptists who will be in heaven. I'm not saying that there are people who are not a Seventh-day Adventist are excluded from heaven. I'm just saying that in God's last, in his last day, he has called a special group of people to proclaim a special message at a very special and difficult time. But what I'm saying today is people don't like that. Especially today. It's very unpopular. What? No. No, you're not. No, we're all special. Well, I mean, we're all created by God, and we're all special in that sense. But those who keep the commandments of God and who proclaim the, the last message, they're, they're called by God in a special way. The dragon was wroth and angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. So what is the testimony of Jesus Christ? We're going to dig into this just a little bit more, okay? Check this out here. It says in Revelation... So this is Revelation 12, 17. It refers to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. It says in Revelation 19, 10, this angel comes to him and he's talking to him. And John, he's just so overwhelmed. It says, And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus... Is the spirit of prophecy. What? What does that mean? What is the spirit of prophecy? Now I, John, this is Revelation 22, 18, nine, eight, 8 through 9. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel. So he does it again to another angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am, I am your fellow servant and of your brethren the prophets. I am of your brethren the prophets. So what we're seeing here is, we see this notion of the testimony of Jesus is the same thing, it's the spirit of prophecy. What is the spirit of prophecy? Well, if you look in Ephesians, back to Ephesians, Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 8, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. He gave spiritual gifts. You ever heard of spiritual gifts? Okay? And, he gave, and, and, he, and he himself, this is again continuing in Ephesians 4, and he himself, that is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that is the church. You realize that when you come to church, God has, gives us all spiritual gifts to be used as part of his church, as part of the body. Amen? It's one of the, one of the most powerful and fulfilling things you can do is discern what your spiritual gift is and use that Amen. in the church. It's one, a wonderful thing. Joel chapter 2, verses, uh, verse, well, by the way, one of the spiritual gifts is prophets and, and the, the spirit of prophecy. And it, in Joel two twenty-eight, "...and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions." So, so what, I'm, what I'm showing you here is that God, he promises to give the gift of prophecy um, in the last days. You're in, and notice what he says here in, Ma- in Matthew 24, 24. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. For they are the spirits of demons performing signs. Now here's the thing. This is a really important verse and concept here because does Jesus say anybody who, who claims to be a prophet you should, you should avoid and watch out for? No. Is that the... So, oh, wait, you're a prophet? No, you, you have the spirit of prophecy, you have the gift of prophecy? No, no, sir, sorry, you're, you're, you're false. No, Jesus doesn't say that. He says watch out for false Christs and false prophets. We have to discern who they are because there will be true prophets. Notice, how can you tell... The difference between someone who is false and someone who is true. By the way, you'll, you'll notice in, in churches today, it's kind of an interesting thing. People believe in spiritual gifts, right? And they'll say, oh yeah, man, he has the gift of teaching, or he has the gift of being an apostle. He has the, you know, people believe in that, but when you, say, when you talk about the gift of prophecy, everybody's like, oh no, 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 yeah, no, that's, that doesn't happen anymore, that's, that was back in the Bible times. But wait a second, it's in the same list. God promises, he says there's going to be, there's going to be gift of prophecy, just as like their gift of pastoring, gift of teaching, etc. It's in the same list. So how can you tell the difference? How can you discern what is a false prophet and what is a true? Well, 1 Thessalonians 5:19 through 21 Do not quench the Spirit, but do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is good. So, so there's a few things that, that you need to do. Number one, there has to be predictive accuracy. If they make a prediction, it has to come true. Okay, when a prophet, notice that, oh, and by the way, notice this verse here, Deuteronomy 18, 22, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that thing which the Lord has, uh, that thing, which the that, that is a thing which the Lord has not spoken. So if he makes a prophecy and he says, hey, this is from the Lord, and he says this is going to happen, and it doesn't happen, is he a true prophet? No, obviously. Okay, good. So that's number one. By the way, do you, who knows who Nostradamus is? You heard of this guy? He made a lot of prophecies. 449 major prophecies. 18 were flat out wrong. 300 and 390 don't seem to correspond with anything that we can identify. They don't seem to have any meaning to anything in, in the future or the past. He has a 9% accuracy rate. Is he a true prophet? Only only about 9% of what he says actually ha- kind of seems to happen. Okay, that's not a true prophet. God's prophecies are always come to pass with 100% accuracy. You see that throughout the Bible. So, number one, predictive accuracy. Number two, biblical fidelity. True to the Bible. True to the teachings of the Bible. Notice what Deuteronomy 13, 1-3 says. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams... And he gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to, that wo- to the words of that prophet or the dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There's going to be people who come and they say, I had a dream or I had a vision. He'd referring to, you know, like supernatural from God type of dreams. Um, don't listen to them if what their dream and visions if, if they contradict what the Bible says. That's not from God. God never contradicts himself. God says one thing and he'll say another thing, but everything he says always lines up together. Isaiah, here's another way to know. It says, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. They have to, they have to agree with the Bible, friends. The Bible has to be our, our test and our rule of faith. So, so predictive accuracy, biblical fidelity, dreams and visions. Notice this one. Uh, Numbers 12, verse 6. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. It's very common in the Bible for God to speak to people through dreams and visions. And he says, hey, I'm going to speak this way. In the la- I'm going to speak this way. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Joel 2, 28. Is that clear? So, so dreams and visions, that if somebody says they have a dream or a vision, that's, that's not bad. That's, that, that's how God speaks. Stops breathing. This is kind of an interesting one, but did you know that, that in the Bible, there's, there's many uh, record, there's incidences recorded of prophets having a, giving a prophecy or having a vision, and they would stop breathing. Very interesting. And so uh, notice this, okay? Daniel 10, verse 17, I'll give you one example. As for me, no strength remains in me, nor is any breath left in me. He's speaking while he's having this, this, this prophecy. Another thing, so he says, there's, there's, he, it says supernaturally strengthened. Daniel 10, verse 18, then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. So you see some, you see some, some interesting characteristics here, but they're biblical, okay? Now here's a question for you. Do all prophets have to be canonical? What is the canon the Bible, right? Okay, so the canon of Scripture, that's, a, that's just kind of a technical term that, that means it's the, it's the books of the Bible. It's, it's what, you know, that's what the, the lineup of the Bible that we have, the makeup of the Bible. Yeah, and um, so, so the question is, if a prophet is canonical, that means that they wrote part of the Bible. Does a prophet have to be an author of some book of the Bible to be considered a true prophet? Well, check this out. Um, we have, we have many prophets that were mentioned in the Bible. We have, you read about, Ag, uh, pff, he has a funny name, Agabus in the book of Acts. It, it talks about this prophet Agabus, and he made this, this prediction about a great drought that would come over the land. And his, his, his prophecy came true. He was, God spoke through him to those people there. He never, we never hear about him he ne- again, and he, ne- and he never wrote anything in the Bible, you realize um, John the Baptist. You know he's recorded of in the Bible, but he never wrote anything in the Bible. He just came, and then the, the disciples, the apostles of Christ, they rec- recorded and they remembered John. So there's there's prophets uh, even in, in back in Bible times who had prophecies, but they were never they never wrote part of the Bible. Here's another interesting question: Do do prophets have to be male? 2 Kings chapter 22 verse 14 so Hilkiah the priest went to Huldah the prophetess and they spoke with her Huldah Now there was one Anna a prophetess this is Luke 2 20, 36 when Jesus was a baby they brought him to the temple to be dedicated and this prophetess Anna she came to him and she held the baby Jesus So we see female prophets in the Bible as well supernaturally strengthened so would you like to see an actual case study this morning of someone who shows these characteristics? Every single one of them. There's, a couple, there's been a lot of people who've claimed to be prophets in, in uh, America. There's been um, Mary Baker Eddy. How many of you have heard of Mar- Mary Baker Eddy? You've heard that name before? She started the Christian science movement. Um, she claimed to have dreams and prophecies, and she has things that she wrote about and so forth. She doesn't quite, she doesn't quite fit all of the... Um, The the characteristics, you know, she made some things, predictions that never actually happened. But there is someone who did. Her name was Ellen White. She was born in 1827, lived to 1915. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Her name was, originally it was Ellen Harmon. She married a man named James White. And it was in um, about the time of 1844... You've heard of the great disappointments. There are many people who believed Jesus were going to return in that year. And, you know, she was a follower of Jesus, Ellen White was, and, and they, they experienced this great disappointment because they, they misunderstood what the Bible was saying about 1844. Just kind of like the disciples misunderstood Jesus' crucifixion. If the disciples really understood that Jesus was going to be raised in three days, they wouldn't have been so disappointed, but they misunderstood. And so here we have Ellen White. Predictive accuracy. She made, some pro- she, made some, she made a lot of, of prophecies. One of the things was, in, in 1902, she wrote about the city of San Francisco. She said, there were some bad things going on in San Francisco back in that day. She said, not long hence, these cities will suffer under the judgments of God. San Francisco and Oakland are becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Lord will visit them in wrath. Okay, some people talk about, man, San Francisco, there's bad things going on there today. Well, back 100 years ago, there were some really bad things going on. Notice this. She, she said, "She said, not long from now, not long hence, not long from now, God's going to visit these cities." Four years later, 1906 was the great San Francisco earthquake. It, it, it did so much damage. It killed. It killed hundreds of people, and it did um, more than. It did about five, 530 million dollars worth of damage in 1906 currency, which would be astronomical today. San Francisco was 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 almost destroyed completely. She made another uh, prediction in 1864, okay? Notice this one. She said that tobacco is a poison. It's poisonous. She was trying to really preach to these people back then because people back then believed that smoking was healthy, that, that, and doctors would prescribe it as a way to, like, you know, kind of cleanse the lungs, right? Tobacco is a poison of the most deceitful and malignant kind, having an exciting, then a paralyzing influence upon the nerves of the body. And back then they had cigarettes. They didn't, I mean, it was, I mean, okay, so smoking is not good. And if you struggle with that, you know, God, God loves you and he's going to help you overcome. Amen? But, but, but smoking, smoking is bad. They thought it was healthy back then. They didn't even have filters on their cigarettes back then. And they thought it was healthy, okay? And so she, she made this prediction. It wasn't until 1957 that the American Heart Association con- concluded that smoking was a causative factor in lung cancer. Almost 100 years ahead of her time. You realize in 1906, she said, X, the X-ray is a great blessing that some, uh, the X-ray is not a great blessing that some suppose it to be. If used unwisely, it may do much harm. You realize when they first invented the X-ray, they, did, they had no concept of, of radiation or radiation poisoning. They would just, you know, slam these, these you know, emit these huge doses of radiation, an X-ray, and, and they would, you know, people would, they would show these images of people and their skeletons and their bodies moving around, and they thought it was so cool but then, then they started, these people started dying, you know, within a few years. They started coming up with all of these problems. And it took them a little while to figure out that, okay, this x ray is, is killing and killing cells and ca- causing damage. And it, it took m- many years later. And now, of course, x ray is safe because they use it in small dosages and they, they understand the, the science of it. But she, she predicted this way ahead of her time, though. So, predictive accuracy, she, she was predicted. You can look at any, you can read. Her writings, anything she said, and it was, she, She there is, I have never found anything personally that, that is, uh, was not accurate and did not actually happen. Biblical fidelity, was she true to the Bible? That's the primary test. Brethren, she said, cling to your Bible as it reads, and stop your criticisms in regard to its validity, and obey the word, and not one of you will be lost. You read any book, not one of you will be lost. Isn't that an awesome promise? Cling to the Bible and not one of you will be lost. You read through any of her books. One of my favorite books, by the way, is Steps to Christ. It's a beautiful book. If you haven't read that book, I urge you, pick that little book up. It's so encouraging. You read through that book, you read through Desire of Ages, which is all about Jesus. You read through those books and she points to the Bible constantly. She says, if only we would read the Bible as it reads, if we would follow the Bible, if we would study it and search it, you just see it over and over again. There is a need of a return to the great Protestant principle, the Bible, and the Bible only is the rule of faith and duty. This was, her, this was her belief. This was what her life was all about, to turn people to the Bible. So, so, The writings of Ellen White are not a substitute for Scripture. They cannot be placed... Oh, by the way, this is an official statement from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This is what the Seventh-day Adventist Church teaches and believes. You realize? The, The writings of Ellen White are not a substitute for Scripture. They cannot be placed on the same level. The Holy Scriptures stand alone. The unique standard by which her and all other writings must be judged, to which they must be subject. Seventh-day Adventists fully support the Reformation principle of Sola Scriptura. The Bible is its own interpreter, and the Bible alone is the basis of all doctrines. Excerpt from Seventh-day Adventists. Friends, you realize everything I believe, everything I understand to be truth, comes from this book. Now, I'll tell you this, Ellen White's awesome. Her books are encouraging. Just like a great preacher can really, you know, help you understand and encourage you from the Bible... Okay, I, I, I love to listen to, to preachers, you know, of, of many denominations, especially Adventist preachers, but I like to listen to Ravi Zacharias and some of those other great preachers. I, they have great insight. Ellen White is, is, she's like that in a way, but she's, she's also a prophet. Let me explain. Her books help us, point us to the Bible, kind of like the moon is a reflection of the sunlight, right? The moon has no light of its own. But, but, but when it's dark outside and, and the moon is reflecting the sunlight, it helps us see, right? I mean, before we invented our, you know, streetlights and everything. But that's, that's what Ellen White is like. And she, she sheds a lot of light on the Bible. Now, let me, let me explain one thing here. You do not have to, ex, you do not have to, ex, do you realize the Adventist Church does not say that you have to accept her as, as, a, as a prophet to become a member of some of the Adventist Church? You just have to believe the teachings of the Bible, Amen. That's just how it is. However, the Bible teaches that there will be prophets. And Ellen White, she has, the, she stands up to the biblical tests of a prophet. And so if you read her writings and you say, no, this is false, there's a problem there. You, under, you follow me? You don't have to sit, You again, the church does not say you have to be, believe in Ellen White to be, except if you believe in the Bible. That's what, that's what it means to be a Seventh-day Adventist. But again, when you compare Ellen White in the scriptures, you realize that there is perfect harmony. So, so again, we're going to talk about what, is it, what does it mean then that she's a prophet? What is the significance of that? We're going to get a little deeper here, okay? So, dreams and visions, all right? So, predictive accuracy, biblical fidelity, dreams and visions. Um, she never used tarot cards or crystal balls, she stayed away from that stuff, or Ouija boards, that was never part of anything. She, she actually had, she had dreams and visions. She would wake up in the middle of the night sometimes, and she had a dream, and she would write it down. And she, God gave her supernatural dreams. And she, she also, really incredible, there were was, was several instances where she would, she would have a vision, and she would be in a meeting of people, and she would be having a vision, and she would be stating what she was seeing in her vision as she was having it. But the funny thing was, as she was standing there, she wouldn't breathe. Really interesting. You realize the Bible says that. Okay, that's one of the tests. There were doctors, there was an instance where a doctor actually brought a candle up to her mouth as she was standing. I mean, not too close, but right there, just, you know, because a, a flame will, will, will move with the slightest, you know, movement of the air. Brought it up close to her, and she didn't breathe for, for I forget what the amount of time was. But, di- but during the, the um, duration of her vision, her visions would sometimes last uh, an hour and a half up to an hour. And, and she, wouldn't, she wouldn't breathe. On one occasion, uh, she got up. Okay, supernatural strength. On one occasion, she got up, and she held an 18-pound Bible above her head for 30 minutes and turned to verses while pointing at them and quoting them. This was a, a vision she was having. People were astounded, and a man got up on a chair, and he looked at the verses she was pointing at as she was holding it, and she was saying what, was, what she was pointing to. Incredible. It was supernatural. It was supernatural. And she was, you know, she was speaking the word, preaching the word of God. By the way, do you know how hard it would be to hold up an 18-pound Bible above your head for 30 minutes? I don't think I could, I could barely do it for two minutes. Mr. Universe would have a hard time doing that. So again, okay, so the dragon, he was angry with the woman, wroth with the woman, went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. One more test. One more test of a prophet. Notice this. Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. This is important, friends. This is an important test. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. That's logical. That's, this is from, straight from the mouth of Jesus. I gave this illustration uh, early on in our seminar. I'm going to give it again. I grew up in central Missouri, in, in, you know, in the country. Tons of oak trees. It's very wooded. Lots of woods and forests out there where I live. And we have a lot of oak trees, just oak trees galore. We have pin oaks, blackjack oak, white oak, just every, I mean, just dozens of oak, great white oak. And, I, you know, I, I grew up, and I, I remember every spring, the, uh, these little blossoms would come out, and then, and then in the fall, the acorns would fall, and there's always acorns all over the ground. And as kids, you know, we, we learned how to, you know, do all kinds of fun things with acorns, make whistles and all that kind of stuff. I know what an oak tree is, okay? I grew up in, in the center of the oak, the oak tree capital. I come to California, and i live lived here for a couple years, and I went to this, um, I, I, I can't remember where it was, it was a park kind of up in the foothills, I think it was east of Fresno somewhere, and somebody pointed out this tree to me, I said, I said, wow, this is kind of a nice big tree, and they said, yeah, it's an oak tree. I said, no, that's not an oak tree, get out of here, I know what an oak tree is, you know, I was pompous, right, I thought I knew what an oak tree was. And he said, and you know, the leaves didn't look anything like an oak tree leaf. You know, normally oak tree leaves are big and broad. They had these little little oval leaves with kind of these little spiky things on it. And the bark looked different. I'm like, this is not an oak tree. It can't be. And he said, well, look, look down here at the ground. I looked down. There were acorns. There were acorns. I was so surprised. I'm like, this is an oak tree? I looked it up online. Sure enough, it was an oak tree. But the only way I determined it was an oak tree was by its fruit. Friends, good things sometimes come in surprising packages. You realize that, right? Not everything looks like you're, you expect it to look like. You have to determine if it's true by its fruit. I was able to discern it was an oak tree by its acorn. You realize that, Ellen? you look at the fruit of Ellen White's life, she started more, uh, hundreds of hospitals, and she was a huge promoter of uh, humanitarian work. That was one of the, the great endeavors of her life. This is Loma Linda University Medical S- Center. It was, you know, started uh, by her initiative um, more than hundred years ago. This is down, you know, in Southern California. Um, other other uh, things started because of her, you know, her um, impetus, like ADRA, Adventist Development and Relief Agency. That's one of the largest humanitarian aid organizations in the world. It serves 150 countries and has given more than $350 million worth of aid to those countries. Here's what others have said, by the way. This is um, some, from some you know, secular people. Ellen White had advanced educational precepts 50 years ahead of her time. She wrote a little book called um, Education and another book called Child Guidance. You want a good book that really helps you know some good principles for raising your kids in the fear of the Lord? Read the book Education. Read the book uh, Child Guidance. It's kind, of, she kind of, it's kind of the cheat sheet for life. She has these little books. And, and people, you know, people from universities who've read these things, like the book Education, are like, man, these are the principles we should be doing in our schools you know, today. She had ideas that were 50 years ahead of her time. Dr. Clyde McKay, a professor of nutrition at Cornell University in spite of the fact that the writings of Mrs. White were written before modern nutrition no better guide for nutrition exists today she wrote her books over 100 years ago and he's saying today that, that no overall better guide exists now of course it's, it's helpful to you know, study about modern nutrition but it's just like a foundational guide her books, her books are, are still uh, helpful very helpful today Women have been honored, ranging from... Listen to this quote. You know, who knows who Paul Harvey is? You ever, you remember Paul Harvey on the radio? Okay, So Paul Harvey, nationally syndicated uh, radio guy. Women have been honored, ranging from Martha Washington, Emily Dickinson, and Rachel Carson. I, came, uh, I can name an American author who has wrote more than William Shakespeare or Tol- Tolstoy, whose writings are, are the best for optimum spiritual and physical health. Her name is Ellen White. You don't know her, get to know her. That was in 19, uh, 1997, Telecast. So once again, the characteristics of the remnant church, they keep the commandments of God. They teach the Bible. They follow the Bible, no matter what. Number two, they have the testimony of Jesus, spirit of prophecy. Number three, they are a global movement with a special message, God God gave has given the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church a special gift through Ellen the work of Ellen White. And friends, I I've, I've when I was yeah, in my teens, I was in my late teens, and I first started, you know, really accepting and coming to a knowledge of these truths. I remember I was I was like, "Wait a second, a prophet? Wait, what a prophet? A female prophet?" I started I started reading, you know, Ellen White's stuff and I started doing some studies. All kinds of objections. There's a lot of people out there who say many negative things about Ellen White. I tested a bunch of those things every time it was proven false. Friends, Ellen White is a blessing. I, taste and see. The Lord says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. Pick up Steps to Christ. Pick up Desire of Ages. See for yourself. Those are powerful books that will change your life. They'll point you to the Bible and, and enhance, illuminate your understanding of God's word. So these are the characteristics of God's remnant people, of His church. Now, I have a question for you. Does this mean that God's people are perfect? Oh, no. Look at the person sitting next to you. Oh, sorry, Frank. Nina, don't look look that way. Look at me. Look up here. You know now God's people are not perfect. I believe in Jesus. I follow the commandments of God. But am I perfect? Oh no. Oh no, I, I, I fall short and make mistakes. God's people are not perfect. But at least they don't make pretensions and at least they follow God's word. Amen? That's what God's calling us to, is to simply turn our eyes to Jesus, surrender to him, and follow him for what the word of God says. If we do that, if we do that, you can be sure that you're following God. Revelation 18:1 through 4 After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory, and he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, lest you receive of her plagues. Babylon the great is fallen. You realize, do you know what Babylon means? You go back to Genesis chapter 11. They were trying to build this great tower. This great tower because they wanted to make a name for themselves and be unified. And they, they were resisting the power of God. And they, went, they wanted to achieve a, a heavenly goal using human power. God came down and he said, no, no, no. And he confused their languages. And therefore, they were called, it was called Babel or Babylon. Babylon means confusion. You know, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of religious confusion. There's a lot of doctrinal confusion in Babylon. People don't know what they believe. But when you come and you study the Word of God for itself, there's clarity. Amen? There's understanding. I'm so thankful for the Bible and how clear it is. Thus, when you pick a church, pick a church that teaches the Bible. Amen? Amen? I can give you no better advice than that. Follow the Bible. Do what the Bible says and you'll be safe. Cling to the Word of God. Cling to Jesus. You'll be saved. God gives us so many good things in this Word. And and if we follow them, sometimes it it takes some sacrifice. Sometimes it takes giving up some things of the world to follow God and follow what the Bible says. But He always takes something away from us to give us something better. Amen? If you choose to follow God today... Tomorrow, he's got a blessing in store for you. Amen? The things of the world and, and the, the false ideas of the world, the false teachings of Babylon stand in the way of the blessings God wants to give us. Friends, I have been following, I was baptized 10 years ago. And I can tell you that every year I follow Jesus, he has, he has blessed me. And looking back, hindsight is twenty twenty. I will never turn back. I will never turn back. I mean, I can't, by God's grace, only with His help, I will never turn back. Friends, tonight, our message, our last message, is going to be Don't Turn Back. I invite you to come. Come check it out. We're going to talk about how to stay faithful to Jesus over the long haul. God bless you all. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord. Grateful, humble, to God be the glory for what you have given us in the Bible. Thank you for giving us the Bible. Thank you for giving us the truths of the Bible. Thank you for giving us the commandments. All these things you give us as a gift. And Lord, I know that there's been people in the past who have misused your gifts and used them as like kind of a, a yoke and a ball and a chain. And a, and, and, but, but Lord, help us have the right, the right perspective on your gifts, Lord. They're, they're good things. They're not, they're not bondage, Lord. They're a good thing. Thank you for the gift of the spirit of prophecy. Thank you for Ellen White and the insights that you gave her, Lord, that have guided us, Lord, and blessed us. I pray today, Lord, that we will not be negligent to receive the precious gifts that you've given us. Thank you for what you've given us, Lord. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. God bless.